0: their gracious Majesties, Queen Mary and King Philip, we are come to witness the burning of these Protestant heretics who have denied the authority of the one true Catholic Church and of His Holiness, the Pope. Let them burn for all eternity. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval inspired movies, TV and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be talking about the 1998 film Elizabeth with guest Shannon Kemp. Hi,
1: Shannon. Hi, I am so excited to be here today. I'm so
0: excited to have you. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: I'm an actor, writer, podcaster, nanny, kind of jack of all trades type <laughs> uh, living in Chicago, Illinois. and I don't have any sort of official trade in it, but I've always really I've always really loved history yeah. and historical fiction of all kinds. So Elizabeth I was actually one of the first historical figures or topics that as a kid I really latched onto and became interested in. I think I was like in the fourth or fifth grade when Mm -hmm. I started reading young adult lit and middle grade reader books about her. Like there was a Dear America spinoff series that had a book about her. You can tell that like my obsession is real (laughs) because I remember all of this. I think I listed it as my favorite book in my fifth grade graduation yearbook. So, (laughs) yeah, that's fun to look back on. And my mom showed me this movie because Mm -hmm. I was so obsessed with Elizabeth and was reading all these books. And I was really young when I saw it for the first time. (laughs) I'm not sure... It was entirely appropriate. I don't really remember how I reacted to like the torture and violence, but I'm sure I was upset. Maybe my mom fast-forwarded through it, and that's why I don't remember. <laughs> but I definitely had some questions about the scene where... Can I talk about one little thing that happens yeah. in the movie? Yeah, I'm like, it. I don't know if I can spoil the movie on a podcast about the movie. The scene where Elizabeth's ladies-in-waiting are watching Elizabeth and Robin have sex. Oh my god, it's
0: so awkward.
1: <laughs> it's so awkward and it's hilarious now. Like, I was laughing my head off when I was watching it for this podcast. But I remember asking my mom, "Why are they doing that?" And my mom, <laughs> bless her, who didn't want to explain like anything about like arousal or voyeurism or anything mm-hmm. like that said, "Well, you know, back then they didn't have any TV. So they were very bored." <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I really hope I get the chance to use that excuse someday in my work as a nanny or my work with kids because it's a really great way to just completely brush off the topic and I absolutely respect her for it. That's a pretty solid
0: uh, way to go with that. Yes, that was my biggest memory of watching this movie as a child. I think I watched this in high school when I was really first getting into medieval and early modern history. And uh, I was going on a family trip to England and just like watched a bunch of stuff and read a bunch of stuff. And that's actually how I ended up deciding I wanted to become a medieval historian. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really exciting. And actually, one of the things that I remember related to this movie is that so one of the characters, the Earl of Arendelle, I had a choice on that trip of whether I could go to his house or I can't remember what it was, but a site associated with Jane Austen. And I said I wanted to go to Arundel's house because I was very invested in this kind of historical stuff. And despite the fact that I did like Jane Austen very much, but I had really gotten into this. And my mother says that that was the moment that she realized that I was going to become a historian and not a lit person and that she was very <sighs> sad about it.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have very fond memories of both the Tower of London and Jane Austen's home. Yeah. So who says you can't have it all? Yes.
0: Yes, I've since been to uh, two other Jane Austen-related sites. So,
1: Oh, no, I wasn't. Don't worry. I wasn't one of those Janeite people who's going to like <laughs> hold your feet to the fire.
0: And I do love Jane Austen.
1: Yes, I am actually like high on Jane Austen right now because of that Emma trailer. Oh, yeah. I am very curious about seeing that
0: this movie has a, a pretty great cast. So it's Kate Blanchett as Elizabeth. Joseph Fiennes as Robert Dudley, who definitely, I feel like, became much less attractive to me the moment that I remembered that he's the commander in The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Yeah, I have not watched The Handmaid's Tale. I read the book, obviously, but <laughs> I
0: haven't because everyone
1: has. I have not seen it, But I will say I didn't really find him to be like quite as charming in this movie as he is in Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. When he's allowed to be a little bit more funny because I think a lot of like the sexiness of him for me comes less from his looks than from like his like sarcastic
0: sense of humor in some of the other films he's in. With this in Shakespeare in Love, there was definitely a period where they were very invested in putting Joseph Fiennes in period clothing. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Love a guy in a tunic. Oh, right. Yeah. And also I feel like in both movies in, I guess, having that clothing be such that it manages to cover as little of him as you possibly can in Renaissance clothing, which is very funny. Just
1: like those gauzy curtains keeping Robin and Elizabeth away from the prying eyes of the ladies in waiting.
0: They might as well not have curtains. I know. They're like, it's like, what is even the point of these? (laughs) So it has uh, Jeffrey Rush as Francis Walsingham, who I think is absolutely fantastic in this role. Yes. And
1: I became obsessed with this character. I'm not sure if I'm getting ahead of myself, but I was like, is this character coded as a gay man? Because there are like all these scenes of him in like private bedroom meetings with young men. There are at least two different yeah. young men over the course of the movie that he's like given the eyeball to... I literally wanted to look up if there were deleted scenes because I was like, I feel like this is that thing like in That Thing You Do where Tom Hanks' character is gay and they just cut the scenes from the movie. Right. It
0: totally seems like that. Yeah, which is really interesting. And I don't think there's any real reason to... Think that based on history, like I don't think he's one of the figures who is reputed to have been gay. I
1: was only going off what the movie was showing me, right. and I was totally obsessed. Then, like every scene he was in, I became that person who's like <laughs> watching every glance, every stolen yeah. look. But the movie doesn't really give us any textual answers. No.
0: No, Richard Attenborough, uh, who's John Hammond from from Jurassic Park, is William Cecil. And look up a picture of William Cecil. It's actually really cool casting in the sense that he actually looks like the portraits of William Cecil from the 16th century. That's really fun. Christopher Eccleston, who is one of the doctors of Doctor Who at some point, is uh, Thomas Howard, the fourth Duke of Norfolk. Yeah, he's
1: really making those poofy bloomers work in this in this movie.
0: Yeah, he's it's interesting because he's he's very charismatic. He's actually somebody that like the the actual historical figure I hate. And also I like really hate his father who is dead by the time the movie starts and not relevant. But I was definitely like watching it. I was like, no, like stop being charismatic. I hate you so much. I kind of wish he got to share the
1: screen with Kate Blanchett a little bit more because I felt like they were really off doing their own separate things. But I really love both of them as actors, and I would have loved to see them like
0: square off actually head-to-head, maybe just a little bit more. Yeah, and there was something odd about that dynamic in general that he is in some ways her kind of main enemy, and yet we never actually see them interact.
1: I mean, we'll get into it as we get into like the plot details of this movie, but I wanted a little more courtly intrigue like yes. i wanted to feel like we as the audience are like in with the people of her court hearing the whispers and the plots yeah. and maybe not everyone knows what's going on and we do and that's kind of the fun of watching it
0: yeah definitely the other person that historically i understand why they didn't introduce this uh element but that i would have loved to have seen her interact with was uh fanny Ardant as marie de guise who, oh, yeah. also, I yeah. thought was just a fabulous character, the way they uh, did her hair.
1: The way they did her hair. Yeah, honey. oh my
0: god, that hair. And, like, armor breastplate, and, like, she's got the hair going, and I, she just comes on the screen. I'm like, I want to I be, be you when I grow up.
1: Yeah, she was amazing. It looked like she was wearing a wig on top of her hair, but it still looked good. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you have to look good to pull that off. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Vincent Cassel as Francois, the Duke d'Anjou.
1: Absolutely chewing up the scenery. Oh my my gosh, he's petting his hats. He's dressing in drag. He's, I was speechless. I've seen Vincent Cassell in a lot of things and I, this may have been the first thing I ever saw him in. And I forgot how campy his performance in this actually quite campy movie is. Yeah,
0: (laughs) this movie in general was much campier than I expected it was or remembered it being.
1: Yeah, that's the thing.
0: It was not out of place. It was just like the most with
1: that tone out yeah. of all the performances but it was not to say that he misinterpreted the tone
0: oh no he nailed it yeah definitely <laughs> then there are the people who i guess were not actually at all famous when this movie came out so i'm watching the credits and it says daniel craig and i go yeah is that the daniel craig assassin's creed <laughs> right yeah so he's the uh, the priest assassin and I'm like, I, I don't think I had any idea who he was when I first saw this movie. I'm
1: certain. I mean, I as a child, I definitely wouldn't have. And yeah. we saw his name in the credits and we're closely watching for him. Definitely Same. expected him to show up as one of the courtiers and not as a evil monk who's repeatedly shown crossing <laughs> himself in slow motion. Right. There's so many bizarre editing choices in this movie <laughs> that we'll oh have God, to get into are. as we go through. Yes. Like. There were some that genuinely made me go like,
0: why, why? Yeah. I don't have a film background and even I saw some things and I'm like, why did you think that was a good idea? Yeah, I'm I don't have a film background either, but it was like
1: hilarious. Like um, in the scene of her becoming queen, they kept flashing to white and then picking up at the exact same moment and then flashing to white and then picking up at the same moment and like (sighs) you would think that'd be a scene transition that would move us through time to something different
0: happening but nope it's just
1: that scene and it
0: keeps going the first time it flashed to white i was like okay is this something that they're doing so that they can dramatically flash way forward and then like oh no we're just like in the same scene still That choice
1: and the choice to repeatedly recycle the same footage of Daniel Craig were the most eye poppingly (laughs) bizarre things. I have seen I mean before we even get into the events of the movie the title of this movie the title sequence like when the title comes up yeah is it just me or was it a blatant like attempt at ripping off the style of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet right
0: yeah just
1: for the credits and for nothing else yeah like, which was it was again, the same exact aesthetic and I was like I, I was just thrilled yeah Emily Mortimer and Kelly MacDonald are her two main ladies-in-waiting, and Emily Mortimer has no lines, but there are 5,000 <laughs> reaction shots from her. She's the weighty lady, yeah. the weighty oh, lady. That's, that's, I know who Emily Mortimer is. Lading.
0: I've seen her in things.
1: Uh, she played uh, Jack's bird-boned fiance on 30 Rock. Yes. Like, she's in a zillion things. She's actually an incredible actress. Yeah. But she has no lines in this movie. Right. But I swear to God, like you could play a drinking game where you just uh, take a drink every time they show a close up of Emily Mortimer's face, <laughs> and you would get drunk. I'm not kidding. I was so confused. Yeah, she's the lady in waiting who's crying the most, and then Kelly McDonald from Train Spotting and a bazillion other things. Who's oh, like a prolific wow. actress is the lady in waiting i gotta keep like carefully saying that now because last time i
0: said waiting and lading <laughs> she's the one who gets the poison dress oh wow and she's somebody that i will talk about later because she's a real person yeah
1: she was like the main actress on boardwalk empire for i think most of the show's run if not the
0: oh, entire huh. run she's okay. also a
1: super well-known actress i was like wow it is bizarre to see these two just chilling in the background yeah
0: yeah and then the other person who i did not notice while watching which makes sense because he is a child in this is alfie allen who is theon Greyjoy on game of thrones i'm not surprised because yeah. keith allen
1: his dad it was the sheriff of nottingham on the bbc robin hood mm. super prolific british actor yeah It makes sense. I think a lot of child actors have parents that are in the industry.
0: Right, yeah. I didn't even know that he'd been a child actor. I was just like watching it and and, uh, I was just doing the notes for this and then it said Alfie Allen. I'm like, that little kid is Theon (laughs) Greyjoy. (laughs) Yeah, so it's very jarring. Long live the queen. At this point we can move into our first main section where we go over the plot of the film i'm going to start with just a brief recap to orient us and then we can get into more of the nitty-gritty details after the death of catholic queen mary her sister elizabeth a protestant takes the throne catholic nobles led by thomas howard duke of norfolk plot treason and her advisor william cecil encourages her to marry to secure her throne instead however she continues her affair with robert Dudley. Marie de Guise attacks Scotland, and in response, Elizabeth agrees to consider marriage to Marie's nephew, the Duc d'Anjou, brother to the King of France. She passes the Act of Uniformity to create a unified English church and sever connections with the Vatican, with the assistance of her advisor Walsingham. Elizabeth learns that Robert is already married and dismisses him, but also refuses to marry the Duc d'Anjou, whom she learns is a crossdresser. After an assassination attempt in which Marie de Guise is implicated, Elizabeth sends Walsingham to assassinate her. Cecil advises her to marry the King of Spain. Elizabeth fires him and replaces him with Walsingham as her chief advisor. Upon hearing of another planned assassination attempt, Walsingham and Elizabeth engineer the arrest and execution of Norfolk into his faction, with the exception of her former lover, Robert, whom she allows to live as a reminder to herself to not bother with romance in the future. She creates a brand new look inspired by the Virgin Mary and ascends to the throne as the Virgin Queen. That gives a kind of basic outline of things that happen. But it begins by informing us that it's England, it's 1554. This is the last time it will give us a date, which is an interesting choice, because if you were watching this, in how many years would you guess that this movie took place? I think you would say it happened over like two
1: years, like in a super short, compressed time frame. My boyfriend, who I was watching this with, does not know a lot about this uh, era of history or at least this particular era in this country and he thought it this movie was very historically accurate and like i was like no no <laughs> i was like oh my gosh this movie there's a lot of plot in it i wish we got to spend more time with elizabeth as a character yeah. and he was like well they had so many events they had to get through in such a short time and i'm like
0: they really didn't you know they could have not made about 18 years seem like they were too <laughs> Yeah, I have a
1: a framed art portrait of a poster for Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette Mm -hmm. that hangs over the TV that we were watching this on. Um, And that's one of my favorite period pieces. And the thing I love about it is it like really introduces you to the interiority of that character. And Cate Blanchett is such an amazing actress. Like, yeah. Later on we're going to talk about like making our own new ideal project. It is hard to think of a better pick for Elizabeth than her. Oh, absolutely. And I wish this movie, to your point, could breathe a little bit more so that we could get a little bit more of a sense of, like, who she is
0: as a person
1: and why
0: some of these things are happening. Yeah, I mean, that plot summary that I just did was kind of hard to do quickly because there are a (laughs) lot of plot beats. There's a lot of stuff that happens, and it's not that long of a movie. It's about two hours. You did an amazing job because, (laughs) honestly, even as someone who – has read a fair amount
1: about this era like my head was spinning we yeah. attempted to put subtitles on but for some reason we couldn't and I was <laughs> like oh no now I'll never
0: keep track of who's who so I was really impressed by your summary oh thank you definitely some help from wikipedia but uh, <laughs> ultimately no shame in the game yeah you have mary who's the queen and she's catholic but she does not have children and basically, Elizabeth, her half-sister, is a Protestant, and all the Catholics are really worried that she's going to be in charge. We get to see the Catholicism emphasized real fast with her burning of some Protestant heretics. And this is an intense Oof. scene.
1: Yeah, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty, but even before we get to the burning, there's some really graphic like details and stuff. It's It's definitely tough to watch.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'm going to say, and like, I remembered that scene of uh, them forcibly shaving the prisoners' heads. I won't say details, but let me suffice to say, I never thought that a head shaving scene could be so disgusting.
1: Yeah, it's really bloody and quite horrible. So by the time the CGI flames come, you're like, oh, thank God they've aged badly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the scene also is just so horrific in terms of that it really emphasizes the fact that the the fire is too low and burning too slowly. And all of these people start throwing more wood onto the fire to get it to burn faster, and then people come back to stop them. It's very upsetting.
1: Yeah, it's an incredibly rough scene and I'm like I don't even know if any other scenes in the movie match this one in terms of intensity like just emotional intensity so it's kind of a really interesting note to start the film on but it definitely gives us a clear idea of what's at stake yes so I will give
0: it that yes and very much brings this religious conflict to life but which in a lot of ways is The center of the of the film in a way that is interesting in that I guess they just assume that their readers basically know about a conflict between Catholics and Protestants because it is or watchers, not readers, because it is never explained. No,
1: it really (laughs) isn't. And uh, like you put in your notes to the point later on that, like, facts are fabricated and misstated to the point of being like actively wrong and confusing. Definitely, I definitely agree. I don't know if
0: I have anything to add. We find out that Mary is reputed to be pregnant, but nobody seems to really think that she's actually pregnant. And Norfolk, in particular, has this woman who he's sleeping with, who is Mary's lady in waiting, who tells him that yeah, she has not slept with her husband, uh, who is Philip II of Spain, any time at all recently. So probably not a real pregnancy.
1: I have a question for you. Yeah. Because you know much more about this time period than just like an amateur fan like myself. And I want to try to ask it in like a sensitive way. Mm -hmm. Both Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth are shown to have members of their retinue who are little people. Yes. And I was really interested in the historical accuracy of that.
0: That actually is a historically accurate thing in that it was very popular in the early modern period as, and this is pretty gross, I mean, as essentially course, a kind of Of course, that's badge. why I wanted to ask it, yeah. This is a kind of sign of like prestige, essentially, that you would have a little person at your court, and they were called court dwarves, was the term that was used. And uh, this is something that was pretty common in, uh, in a number of early modern states uh, in both England and Spain, for that matter, that people would do this. And on the one hand, it does often mean that there are some people who are perhaps a little people who are from a less kind of wealthy background that actually probably personally benefit from this in terms of that they get money and status. But on the other hand, it is obviously a kind of gross tokenization and very much kind of using them for as in this kind of odd symbolic way.
1: That is so interesting. I just, I, yeah, that was really, that question really stuck in my mind as I watched because some of the most touching scenes with Queen Mary definitely heavily feature her little person, Lady-in-Waiting, and... I was really struck by the performers. I mean, they yeah. the performers they cast are incredible and yeah. obviously do a wonderful job, just
0: like everyone in this movie. But I wanted to ask, so thanks for filling me in. Yeah, of course. And I don't think there's evidence of specifically exactly Mary having, like, we don't know who this specific person would be. But sure. it was something that was definitely pretty common at early modern courts.
1: I'm actually kind of glad to hear that, although obviously I'm not glad to hear about, like, their oppression and marginalization. But I'm happy to hear that it wasn't, like, Hollywood being,
0: like, wouldn't this be cool and exotic? Yeah, it is a choice that actually makes sense. It's actually one of the more historically accurate choices that this movie makes. Yeah, that's so interesting. (sighs) The film really goes hard on Mary super wants to kill Elizabeth and uh, try to implicate her in these Protestant plots. And also very much goes into the, you know, my sister was born of that whore, Anne Boleyn, and she'll never rule England. Again, this is something that the film never really explains the background of their lives and the fact that they are half sisters because their father, Henry VIII, divorced Mary's mother, Catherine of Aragon, against her will to marry Anne Boleyn, whom he later executed.
1: And if they had explained it, even a little bit, it would load the whole religious conflict with so much more emotional weight in the story yeah. from like a storytelling perspective. I think the actress who plays Mary is doing a great yeah. job, but I wish maybe we could have gotten a little bit more exposition here uh, in kind of a more, I don't know, sensible way? I don't know, right. a more historically <laughs> accurate
0: way? That might be what we're asking for the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And again, there's these things that her saying that does ring fairly true to me, but it's also, it's this thing that to me, it makes sense because I'm very immersed in all this. But if you're watching and you're not familiar with this period, it's a bizarre line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think though, I will say as I was doing my rewatch this time, Mm -hmm. I was like, This is why I became obsessed with Elizabeth I as, like, my first historical figure. I must have loved the fact that from these books and movies that were not terribly historically accurate, it was, like, a real-life fairy tale. Like, I'm a princess and I did nothing wrong, but my (laughs) wicked half-sister wants to kill me, you know? Like... I completely understand why as a very young kid I latched onto that narrative so much. Yeah. Because I remember in those young adult books a lot of times Mary would be like a friend to Elizabeth when they were both young but then would like slowly turn on her and it was – Very much like in line with what I saw play out in the straight fiction
0: books I was reading at that same age. Yeah. And it is an interesting dynamic between the two of them, and that, you know, they are sisters and uh, do spend time together, but they're in this very odd position because of their respective mothers. It's an interesting background that is hinted at here, but never actually explained.
1: Yeah i would love almost like a mary what was that movie called mary queen of scots there was elizabeth and mary queen of scots that came out recently i would love a movie like that that instead of exploring the relationship between those characters who barely even got to meet over the course of the movie but one that like actively explored the relationship between elizabeth and mary because it is a completely fascinating
0: one yeah definitely I would love to see that. The thing that I think is really interesting staging-wise at the beginning of the movie is that it very much contrasts the uh, dark and kind of dour court of Mary with then the brightness and light and joy surrounding the kind of imprisonment, in fact, of uh, Princess Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, that we go from this kind of dingy dark room into Elizabeth and all of a sudden everything is bright and colorful and light and everyone is dancing.
1: Yeah, and they cannot stop giggling. They're just, like, piping in ADR giggling like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> These girls just giggle, giggle, giggle the whole movie.
0: Yeah, and then Robert Dudley shows up and is barely wearing a shirt for some reason in a way that makes no sense in the 16th century. <laughs> but makes a lot of sense in 1998. Oh, yeah. And uh, she's kind of flirting with him and then gets accused of treason. And obviously, you know, that's, that's hard. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, still this contrast interesting. And then she's taken away from that world and brought to the tower and goes past Traitor's Gate where she gets to see all these heads on spikes, which is deliberately, you know, meant to upset you as you're going through these gate. this gate. And I imagine was effective. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. And she is accused of treason and of being a Protestant They also here make the rather bizarre claims. He says, uh, I ask you why we must tear ourselves apart for this small question of religion. And then one of them responds, you think it's small, though it killed your mother? And that is very much not how I personally would explain the execution of Anne Boleyn. I wouldn't either. We're leaving a certain Lady Jane Seymour entirely out of the equation, among other things. Yes, and just the fact that Henry's maybe a terrible person who got bored with his wife and then decided to murder her. Uh, We're leaving his horniness out of it, which is yeah. a problem. I mean, that's the interesting thing, actually, about Henry and this whole question of religion that I think, honestly, deep down, I don't think he cared at all. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Although he definitely didn't want the Pope to, like, actually be telling him what to do or not. Right. But that I think if he, if the Pope had, like, said, oh, yeah, sure, you can have your divorce. I think he would have remained, you know, a devout Catholic his entire life. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting that they're kind of making that about religion in a way that their religious divides are then mapped onto other divides, but her death is really not about religion.
1: Yeah, it's a little – it's really muddying the waters because this stuff hasn't been explained, and then they sort of, like, are kind of uh,
0: massaging the facts on top of that, so it can get really confusing. Yeah. Mary then finds out that she is not, in fact, pregnant – And her informer lady-in-waiting takes off to inform Norfolk. So then she ends up talking with Elizabeth, who is begging for mercy. Mary also says, when I look at you, I see nothing of the king, only that whore your mother. My father did nothing so well as to cut off your head or cut off her head. It was a really weird comment
1: to make too because like famously Elizabeth and Henry look alike. Yes. They have the exact same coloring and we see pictures of Henry throughout the movie. Yeah. And we're looking at her. So it was a really weird insult of just a very bizarre thing to say. She actually looks nothing like her mother. Exactly. Like (laughs) Anne Boleyn famously has like dark coloring and stuff. So I was like,
0: okay. Yeah. So it's like such a like, all right. I mean, if if you want to believe that in your heart, you can. But like... Yeah, I mean, it's—I mean, it's one of the reasons that like nobody ever really seriously said anything about Elizabeth's illegitimacy, even despite her mother being accused of having had multiple affairs, is because if you looked at her, everyone's like, "Yeah, that's how." Yeah. <laughs> Mary tries to get Elizabeth to promise that she will keep England Catholic, and Elizabeth responds by saying that she will act as her conscience dictates, which is a great way to not literally say no, but basically say no. Sure, yeah, she's definitely doing some, like, corporate doublespeak here. Yeah, and Mary gets that and knows that and is not happy, but also I think this is an interesting moment in that I think she does just shy away from the idea of actually killing her own half-sister.
1: Yeah, there's definitely something to that. Yeah. It's one of the more humanizing
0: moments for Mary. It is, yeah, and... Overall, I say I will say also this scene does have moments where it passes the Bechdel test, which is cool.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely.
0: I think, in general, period pieces can be really good about that. Yeah. Medieval ones often aren't. Oh. <laughs> Mostly because a lot of them have exactly one woman.
1: Okay. That makes more sense. I'm thinking yeah. of, like, I'm so used to watching... Every miniseries that the BBC puts out and maybe because women are their target demographic or something, I definitely never uh, have any shortage of female characters to concern myself with who are talking about all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, a lot of medieval films are very sword heavy movies that are geared, I think, largely toward men and toward people who like, and toward a kind of action based audience whom they presume to be more likely to be men.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Now that we talk about it, the show Robin Hood was definitely light on the women, to say the least. And they tried, like they added another member of the Merry Men who was turned out to be a woman in disguise Mm -hmm. and stuff. but.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but this passes, which is nice. They are also particularly concerned at this moment, the Catholics, about the return of Mm -hmm. Walsingham. And they mentioned that, okay, so he's in exile in France. He's going to come back. And I guess hire this kid, who looks like he's like 12, to murder him. And this is one of those scenes where it seems like he's being coded as gay because it's this odd... What is this boy doing in his room?
1: Exactly. They're both like in very casual dress which is to say like not wearing the traditional outer layers of their clothing and what would make sense is if this boy was his lover and then he's supposed to kill him because then it's like it would make sense why he was the one assigned to do it because he's in his room and he's got this guy off his guard so if walsingham's enemies knew that he was on the down low so to speak they could Mm -hmm. try to use that against him which wouldn't have been unheard of so i was kind of waiting for that reveal and it just never came
0: yeah it was a very odd uh, kind of half-hearted attempt to kind of do this uh, sort of to kind of like do that storyline but not actually do that storyline elizabeth has a conversation with cecil about the kind of issues surrounding mary and instructs her okay don't say anything and don't spend any time meeting with people who might compromise you in terms of what their reputation is and emphasizes not even lord robert and she ignores that part at least and she hears about this uh, offer of marriage from the king of spain who has sent his ambassador to offer elizabeth his hand in marriage despite the fact that his wife her sister is not dead yet
1: yeah it's a real monty python i'm not dead yet moment <laughs>
0: He says, my sister's bed is still warm. And she and the ambassador goes, his majesty finds it cold, which is harsh.
1: Harsh, but at least it's historically accurate in the sense yeah. that uh, they were definitely not sleeping together very yeah. much, if at all.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, accurate. But, yeah, it's uh really like it's it's icky. And she's kind of like suggesting this to Robert and she's like, he would only show up like twice a year. It'd be great. <laughs> I was like, that honestly doesn't sound like a bad deal compared to some of your
1: other your other options.
0: Yeah, I think in practice it probably is a bad deal in the sense that he wouldn't actually show up that often, but he would want more control over England than she might want him to have.
1: Oh, yeah, I was just thinking
0: about a husband you only have to see three times a year. That's, oh, yeah that, that be be a <laughs> yeah, that part would be great. That may be a me thing. Yeah, that part would be great.
1: I was thinking about it only from like the perspective, of, like if you only have to do it three times a year, girl,
0: <clears throat> and then you can just like have your boyfriend that everyone's gonna know that yeah, you have, exactly. and it's fine.
1: <laughs> exactly, that's what that's how I had thought of it. But you're right, from a political perspective, yeah, it was it would not be good.
0: Also, three times a year actually might be too many to have sex with Philip II specifically. Yeah, fair, <laughs> yeah, not not a pleasant dude. Mary dies. And the Earl of Sussex arrives to tell Elizabeth that she's now queen. This is where we have those odd fades to white that keep happening. That is an inexplicable choice.
1: Yeah, I was like, is this trying to give us some of like a feeling of Elizabeth's interiority? Like she's so overwhelmed. But it really wasn't that because whenever we cut back, we're either seeing the scene at a great distance, which also makes no sense. Like literally, we're seeing it so far back, we can barely see who's who. Or the camera is slow motion swooping around Elizabeth from the outside, which again does not suggest her perspective at all. So I felt really alienated from her as a character in this movie.
0: Yeah, and also I mean you have Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett does great facial expressions. Why are you wasting that?
1: Why are you cutting away and then showing us the scene from a field? It was it was truly bizarre and it was not emotionally resonant. Like at times, yeah. there were editing choices that made it feel like they were trying to make it like a music video or something. It, it so almost weird. makes me think again if, like, it was, like, the Baz Luhrmann influence seeping in. They were, like, attempting to add some
0: artsy style. No, it was, it was just bizarre. She gets crowned in Westminster in a very kind of elaborate scene. Uh, we get to see all the details of the coronation. Robert is there and for some reason is wearing lime green and again, has his shirt open like way, way down. Yeah, that's his look. That's his signature that's his look. look. There's actually a telling moment where he finally buttons up, later, which I think was really interesting. Oh my gosh, I didn't notice that. I might yeah. have to do another rewatch. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention later when he like his finally he finally buttons up. Elizabeth, now queen, learns of the various challenges facing her. Her treasury is empty. Her navy's weak. Her army is non-existent. And Mary, Queen of Scots is trying to make a claim and Norfolk, it says, covets the crown. He doesn't have a claim, but I guess he's going to try to marry Mary, Queen of Scots is what's implied.
1: I thought that was confusing, too, because they keep mentioning that in like blurbs for the movie about like Norfolk trying to get the throne. And I was like,
0: how? Based on what? Right. Right. I mean, yeah, he could like, marry somebody else, but he has no claim. He actually is yeah, related to Elizabeth. But, it? Yeah, he is Yeah, he's actually related to Elizabeth, but through Anne Boleyn. Sure. That's not helping him. And then Walsingham returns, looking very sardonic. And Cecil tells Elizabeth that he is functioning as basically her kind of fancy bodyguard, sort of. Elizabeth keeps just, like, wanting to dance. Instead, she has to meet with the French ambassador, who is trying to get her to agree to marry the brother of the king of France, the Duke d'Anjou. Which Elizabeth for the mo for the moment is able to put off by saying, Oh, right, his aunt, Marie de Guise, she's the one who's garrisoning French troops in Scotland, right?
1: Awkward. Awkward. I want to say the French ambassador is rocking a unibrow in the best way. It <laughs> he is. looks really good on him. It's this yeah. is not a joke. He looks fantastic. <laughs> and his fashion, I think at one point he wears something with a print that has like eyes, or it looks like yeah. eyes. I, I don't that. know. maybe that's just a fever dream I had, <laughs> but I loved uh, I loved like how the French were more a little more outre with their fashion than the English.
0: Yes. yeah, the French fashion is fun. Norfolk is chilling in literally he has a corner of grumpy Catholics. <laughs> there is such a theme throughout this movie, with the exception of the French of the Catholics are just dour and everything about them is dark and depressing. And the Protestants are the only ones who have any color. It's
1: like the emo kids versus the preps with this religious conflict. I know, it's
0: so weird.
1: Between, like, the lime green collar popping on one side (laughs) and the giant crosses
0: on the other. Yeah, it's just like, all right, this is our difference in choices about religion. Elizabeth dances with Robert, for some reason decides that basically groping him in public is a solid idea, and then invites him into her bedchamber. Her ladies-in-waiting literally just line up and... Do a, like, giggly receiving line while he kind of comes past and he kind of flirts with all of them. I was about to say,
1: he's super into it. I almost wonder if they know that the women are watching and that's part of it. Because that's sort of how the scene plays.
0: Right. And, of course, the person that he in particular is especially flirty with, though, is Isabel. And we'll see where that goes in a little bit. That is Kelly McDonald. for those of you playing along at home. Yes. Cecil instructs the ladies-in-waiting to show him Elizabeth's sheets every morning because Her Majesty's body and person are no longer her own property. They belong to the state. Now that is some regulation of women's bodies. I say, who are you, T.I.? Right? Ugh. Basically.
1: That was was one of the grossest moments in a movie that had that forcible head shaving scene.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, dude... You're not even her dad. You're worse than T.I. You're just this like, old do it on our council. Stop. I didn't need to hear the Santa Claus
1: from Miracle on 34th Street (laughs) say that to anyone. The kind of amiable founder of Jurassic Park. And the thing is, this is such an interesting idea that like she no longer has possession of her own body as a feminist theme. Mm -hmm. But the movie for me just doesn't fully explore that very much and I I just but again this is all my personal preference like there are plot driven movies and there are character driven movies it's totally fine to prefer plot driven movies this is a plot driven movie it is very much I personally prefer character driven movies and I think Elizabeth is so fascinating that I'm like wait more tell me more about this yeah speak on this like it's, it's tough when we just blow past some of these very personally significant things
0: in favor of the political big picture. Yeah, definitely. So, and there's really, this really never comes back, in fact, because as we see then that she, in fact, is very quickly no longer a virgin, that she does have sex with Dudley and all of her ladies-in-waiting are there to watch.
1: I thought it was sort of like an open secret in real life
0: that she and Dudley were having... It's certainly certainly something that there were definitely rumors about, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we'll get into the other Robert Dudley, Robin, whatever you want to call him, stuff when it comes up. Because there were other things about their arc together that, as someone who read a lot of YA books Uh about them, I was like, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, there were choices made about that arc that I don't think should have been made personally, but
1: we have to save it for yeah, when we we'll, get to that we'll part of the plot we or we're gonna there. be podcasting for
0: a full two hours yes, just we'll, like the we'll movie save it for when they get there <laughs> she by the way I just want to say they're having sex she starts like crying with happiness and I'm like there's no way he's that good yeah so she was her first time her I first don't think time, so and, like, we didn't honey even see him like go down on her or anything like, yeah like come on
1: well, it was 1998. If he
0: went down on her, it would have been X-rated and like, probably banned in certain countries. Yeah. So, you know, that's a little much, but I'm glad she's happy. Less happy, she learns that Marie de Guise has increased the French garrison in Scotland. And uh, they basically have this kind of awkward meeting that happens when she's like barely out of bed and, you know, just having her breakfast wine. And uh, she agrees against her will, essentially, to send troops to Scotland. This turns out to not be an amazing idea, as the untrained English soldiers lose badly. However, Marie de Guise is flawless. Oh my god. She's in fine form as like a villainess in these scenes. And there's this dramatic moment where she finds this little wounded English child and she mops up some of his blood with a French flag and says, "English blood on French colors." And then says, "Bring this back and tell that bastard queen not to send children to fight Marie de Guise." Fair, yeah, you know, yeah, he was really young. He was, yeah. uh, she's so badass. Yeah,
1: that was a that was a cool scene. It actually made me think of something that could have happened in a Shakespeare play, because he would love doing something something like that in one of his histories.
0: Definitely. Elizabeth, having heard of all this, looks dramatically at a portrait of Henry VIII and wonders what to do. I wish it started, like, talking her in her mind. Right, yeah, I think that would have been (laughs) fun, actually. We have, like, a little, like, ghostly Henry VIII. uh...
1: (laughs) This movie is so dramatic and over the top that we're, like, almost
0: there as far as I'm concerned. It could have worked. Robert has gone hunting and is just absolutely fucking useless. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, exactly. But Walsingham <laughs> shows up and he's not useless. And he tells her that the problem is the bishops, who are speaking in, against her in her pulpits and are saying don't go to war and are saying she's terrible. This is the now a kind of consideration that she has. The French ambassador then informs Elizabeth that Marie de Guise will make no further threat as long as she considers the proposal of the Duke d'Anjou. Elizabeth agrees that she'll invite him. Robert just sulks and then runs off like an asshole. Since apparently he basically thinks that, like, his dick is more important than thousands of people's lives. The
1: movie also does this weird thing where it acts like Robert and Elizabeth think they have a chance of being together. Which, no, they (laughs) wouldn't have. Like, he has known her since she was very young and he's known that entire time that they were not going to be married. So the movie acts like this is some like big dramatic realization. He would never even consider that she could consider marrying another man, but that just reads as so false to me because obviously he would know that she would need to marry for
0: political reasons, either as a queen or a princess. It's interesting because actually his candidacy becomes taken much more seriously later, in fact, than it is at this point. Where at this point, nobody would assume that she would do this. It's only when she keeps refusing other suitors that people are like, oh, could that happen?
1: Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. But like Robert's reaction, not only was it annoying, it just felt like, come on, dude. Like, you know the score. It's not a personal thing. Like... How can this be a surprise to you? I mean, that's a line I'm going to repeat later on in the movie. How can this be
0: a surprise to you? But we'll get there. Yeah. Elizabeth Then, and this is, I would say, my favorite scene, talks Parliament into passing an act that unifies the Church of England and requires the use of a common prayer book and then makes the monarch now the head of the church. She's got some amazing snark here, and her dialogue with Parliament and with the head of men in Parliament is fantastic. Somebody's like, you can't force us to do this. And he goes, how can I force you? I'm just a woman. And uh, there's a, there's one line, which is, uh, I have no desire to make windows into men's souls, which is actually a real thing that she said at some point, which is cool. And uh, I also very much enjoyed in particular that uh, she that then they start kind of hammering her about, OK, so when are you going to get married? And she has a bit. She's like, well, some of you want me to marry an Englishman and some of you want me to marry a Frenchman and some of you want me to marry a Spaniard. And I have no idea how to please you unless I marry one of each. And then somebody's like, that's not a good joke. The sanctity of marriage is important. And then she's like, how many wives have you divorced, my friend? Oh, <laughs> that joke never goes out of style. Oh, yeah. Ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nice that like that, that still helps. You can still use that one.
1: I also really enjoyed that scene. That's, I mean, this is kind of exactly what I wanted from an Elizabeth movie, a movie that yeah. felt more focused on
0: her and what makes her special and unique yeah definitely she's able to pass this act by five votes because she has five bishops who are locked in a dungeon which i love hey whatever gets it done whatever gets it done and she's like i've been locked in a dungeon plenty you'll survive fine fine the french prince then shows up he is well the actor is fantastic and really hamming it up and doing a great job the prince is terrible yeah he's the worst yeah so first of all he does this kind of obnoxious thing of like he's in a disguise and there's somebody else that she thinks the prince and he's like ha 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 no i'm the prince and like henry the did that bullshit too but i hate it it's dumb and obnoxious yeah i agree and then he like swoops in and gives her a kiss which she is clearly not expecting and not on board with and then he makes this super dirty joke really fast which one? Because he says so many disgusting things in this movie. I don't remember which one. I think the one in this scene was that immediately he's like, like, says something about basically like, I can, like, stroke your thigh and your cunt. Oh, no, thank you, sir. Yep. Or that's ha- that was the uh, translation that w- well, the translation that was given was your thigh and your Quinny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, now I remember. Is the word that was used. And I could swear that it said, that the French that he actually said was le chat, which I hope I'm right.
1: I mean, I believe you. I definitely believe you. He's he's just all over the place in this movie, so I wasn't sure yeah.
0: which specific instance it was. Yeah, so it's like that in particular. It's just like, oh, dude, no, just stop, <sighs> just stop. And I do like that she was like, I am very religious.
1: Yeah. As a response. And I have to keep talking about the aesthetic choices in this movie because I'm obsessed. Mm -hmm. He has these pencil-thin sideburns that don't connect to his beard but do go, like, (laughs) all the way down to his chin. Yeah. And then a little goatee, and it's a lot of
0: look. It is so much look, and he's very flamboyant in his stylistic choices.
1: And he's this feathered hat that he is just like relentlessly stroking as if it's a pet. Yeah. So that was really drawing the eye. Like, honestly, it's like he's trying to distract from every other actor in every scene that he's in. He's
0: really doing his best. Yeah. There is some intense hat game in this scene. Because Elizabeth also has a very elaborate hat.
1: Everyone's wearing a hat, and in, flo- in that floating couch masquerade scene, everybody's outfit was absolutely over the top. Yeah,
0: the clothing was intense. We briefly have a shot of the Vatican, where Catholics continue to be very dour, and the English priest, played by Daniel Craig, informs the Pope that everything everyone is praying for the restoration of Catholicism in England. Best of luck to them.
1: I think most people in, at this time period, England are just praying they can eat and survive. There are some people playing, praying for the restoration of Catholicism. Sure, it's, but it feels like by and large it was not like a seismic cultural
0: movement. No, a lot of people I'm sure just don't care and would like to have food. Among the nobility it's probably maybe at this point still about like half and half? Yeah. But
1: that's, that makes more sense. Yeah. I was thinking about him talking about England as a whole and yeah, I was England like as a there's whole, no
0: way. Yeah. So then we have the boat masquerade scene where she makes the choice that she's going to go on a boat with Robert and make out with him, while the person that she's supposed to be trying to decide if she wants to marry is in his own boat. I mean, can you blame her? Oh, no. I mean, not (laughs) at all. But except for the fact that also Robert is terrible. And in this scene, he keeps being like, like, marry me, marry me right now. And then he leans out the boat and yells at the Spanish ambassador, you're a bishop, right? Marry us. Yeah, they're being really obnoxious and Elizabeth loves it. <sighs> it's like, no, you're you're not going to find this cute in like two years. <laughs> You're going to regret this. The French ambassador and the prince are having this like really misogynist conversation about her, which also sucks. And everybody sucks. And then somebody tries to assassinate Elizabeth, which at least is a nice respite for us as the audience from watching all of these terrible men. And the scene just ends. Yep. Robert has his first conversation with Alvaro, the Spanish ambassador, who tries to convince him that he should convert to Catholicism, I guess. So that's interesting. And Robert's like, I'll think about it. Yeah. They reflect about who's behind the assassination attempt. And Cecil tells her, all right, this settles it. You need to just marry the Duke d'Anjou to deal with this problem. And then when she's kind of hesitant about that, says, I know this is because of your affair with Robert. And then also says he's already married okay this was the
1: thing i was like i don't buy this being a surprise for her it wasn't she knew exactly i was yeah. like
0: they she definitely kn- knew ha- she she knew him like
1: for the vast majority of her life at least for the entirety of her adult life She would, I mean, this was a time when didn't you still have to get, like, permission from the
0: Sovereign as a member of, like, the royal class to marry at all? Or at least if you didn't, you risked incurring the Sovereign's disapproval. Exactly. So I was like that this would be
1: a surprise to her is so laughable and even if that weren't in place we're supposed to believe that through all the courtly gossip and all these dozens of giggling ladies and waiting she's never heard that he's been married i was like this is some like romantic drama bullshit this is not
0: real yeah it's a scene that i'm i see where they got it from and i'll mention some of the history behind that later but here it does not make any sense.
1: I feel like oh I just I just wanted there to be other things for this character to focus on, maybe than Robert so much. And when yeah. we got to this twist I was like really I thought she was like I thought she kind of knew the score and was like sleeping with him to sleep with him. Right. Which would have maybe even been a more interesting
0: choice. Right. For the and then it would be story. like, Oh yeah, he's married. Great. I don't have to worry about the yeah. fact that I don't necessarily want to get married. Exactly. Basically to annoy him, she tries to give Anjou a ring and is told that he's sick and then is like, oh no, I'll still take it to him myself and ends up walking in on his little party that he's having next door to where the English are having a party at which most people are just naked and he is wearing a dress.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to interpret like how big of a deal this is supposed to be based on how the movie is showing it in my opinion i wasn't sure as someone who does not you know know a lot about this specific facet of the culture of this time period i wasn't sure when she saw it if it was going to be like oh my gosh this is a time when all women in plays are played by men this is a hilarious goof this is no big deal or this is a homosexual act therefore this is an abomination against God and the church like I had no idea as a viewer of this movie because the movie didn't really make me feel like I had context is
0: this a huge deal or not a big deal at all kind of medium in some ways I think it would be considered not appropriate for a high status man in particular I mean sure. the men who are playing women in plays are are very low status people.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I no I knew it wasn't like totally kosher, but I wasn't sure if it was a situation where it's like they're interpreting it as a sexually deviant act. I guess that's what I'm trying to.
0: I think in out. the context of this is a thing that he does kind of in private with his friends and clearly there's like some sex going on at this party. I think in this kind of context, it probably would have been interpreted as a sexually deviant act. So that cro- I think that cross-dressing in this manner would have been kind of different contextually. In this sure. context, I think it would have been assumed to be something that was in some ways sexually deviant. Okay, that helps me make sense of it. Yeah, but there are certainly were other people about whom there were rumors of even them being gay, and that didn't necessarily disqualify them from, say, becoming king. Yeah, totally.
1: That's kind of what I was thinking with the Jeffrey Rush character. I was like, even if he was rumored to be gay, that wouldn't necessarily totally unseat him. That's why I was kind of curious as to whether they
0: were going to go down that path. Yeah, it's the kind of thing I, I think the way that they deal with it actually in some ways kind of makes sense. That it's something that she can at least use as an excuse to not marry him. Yeah. But it's not really that big of a deal. That helps. Back at the English party, she calls Robert up to dance with her. Again, dude, somehow wearing less clothing than <laughs> anyone else in this court, man or woman. And he tries to convince her to take him back, and in doing so, calls her my Elizabeth. And she responds, no, I am not your Elizabeth. I am no man's Elizabeth. And if you think to rule her, you are mistaken. I will have one mistress here and no master, which is inspiring. Good for you. Yeah, that's definitely one of her best moments in the movie. Yeah. Robert goes and complains to Alvaro, which doesn't seem at all treasonous. And the dour priest, speaking of treason, arrives in England with his papal bull that absolves Catholics of their allegiance to Elizabeth. And uh, then he, and so then he identifies Norfolk's servant, Elliot, as actually being Walsingham's spy and then just immediately murders him.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a reason I was referring to this guy as Assassin's Creed. He's just yeah. like a
0: goofy video game murder priest. It's very weird, the choices that they make about this figure. <laughs> so then Isabel Nolis, one of the ladies-in-waiting, For some reason, think that it's a very good idea that she should try on some of the Queen's dresses and then while wearing one of the Queen's dresses, have sex with the Queen's boyfriend or, you know, ex-boyfriend, but still. And he then very uncomfortably thinks that a great idea here is for her to then say, yes, I am your Elizabeth. Yeah, it's
1: rough. They like make a vague connection because Kelly McDonald's hair in this scene is like reddish colored. Yeah, but instead of her usual brown, but like there's no actual lookalikeness. It's just a dress. It's so the whole scene just
0: comes off as so pathetic and gross. Yeah, and it's very close. Your eyes and think of England, I guess. Oh. (laughs) But yeah, it's very it's a scene that manages to be unpleasant even before it turns out that the dress is poisoned and she dies a horrific death.
1: She looks like she was burned all over her body. Like, I've never seen a poisoning like this before. And she's screaming and screaming, too. It's just a horrible, horrible scene. We were like, what happened to her? Is he, like, sexing her to death? What is going on? The
0: actress, I think, actually does a great job in that you can hear when her, like, like, Being like having loud sex transitions into she's genuinely terrified and upset.
1: Yeah, that's part of what makes it so horrifying. No, it's a
0: really horrifying scene. And at first, I was like, "Is like is she now trying to get away and he's raping her?" Like, yeah, yeah, could
1: like they have them behind a like wooden partition thing and then the camera moves around so you don't like see them fully right. at first so it's definitely like what is going on and then they, when they yeah. said it was a poisoned dress uh my boyfriend
0: who I was watching this with and I both went what so ridiculous!" <sighs> and also for some reason Robert is not harmed at all Exactly. How does that happen? At least his private
1: part should be scorched. Right. She got burnt all over her body. The dress was not on her neck and face,
0: but her neck and face are effed up. Right. You'd think he'd at least have some like major rashes like on his legs or something. Like Because he's even
1: like less clothed than usual, and he's usually only partially clothed. (laughs) Yeah. So unfair.
0: The dour priest briefly appears to try to kill Elizabeth, but gets frightened off by everybody running to tell Elizabeth about the other assassination attempt. It's like,
1: don't worry, we'll reuse this footage in case
0: you didn't like it this first time. Yes, this is the first of about seven times that we see (gasps) this priest dramatically walking toward her. And crossing himself, which I thought was hilarious. Like, honestly, some of the choices in
1: this feel like, I don't know, like, this director's background, but some of the choices felt like music video choices yeah. like the w- the wafting gauzy curtains during the sex scene the flashes of white during the inauguration the slow motion crossings during the stuff with assassin's creed like it really was so strange so
0: weird Ugh. no idea why they decided to do this Welsingham is having dinner with marie de guise because the in the big drama with the, with the assassination attempt at the dress is that they're like, it's French silk. <gasps> so I guess that means it must have been Marie de Guise. So Offenham goes and has dinner with her and kind of implies that he might be interested in changing alliances. And the Duke d'Anjou, for some reason, is basically making out with his aunt, which is, again, a choice. That feels like a no. That feels like that wouldn't have been. No, that's not that- okay.
1: Yeah, I'm like, I know that people were marrying more within their bloodlines then than now, but even back then,
0: that feels a little strange. It makes me think that the creators of this movie are very into portraying him as sexually deviant and that that's why they included the scene of him wearing a dress.
1: Yeah, and that, that I makes think sense.
0: They maybe even see that as more deviant than somebody at the time might have. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I will say. I mean, part of the reason it's like this movie is frustrating to me upon this watch is it feels like such a male telling of it this really woman's does. story. It yeah. is like. When we started it, I thought it was a Harvey Weinstein produced movie. I'm not saying that to like flame this movie, but you know, he produced a lot of these type of movies during this time period. I literally thought it was one that he had had his hands on because it's it's that same style and tone. Um, There are, you know, a lot of period pieces and historical fiction works that kind of got caught up under the Miramax umbrella for better or for worse. You know, we got to see movies like Frida, but they were heavily edited and changed yeah. on the whims of this man. So, again, this wasn't a Miramax movie, but I it felt like movies of that ilk where we're kind of trying to tell a woman's story in a feminist way, but to me it feels a little bit more like girl power than feminism.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's very much what's going on. And especially because we don't really have that interiority from her. And I think we also don't have the nuance of, uh, I don't think Elizabeth I necessarily herself is somebody who, I mean, certainly they didn't have the term feminist, but also I don't think she's necessarily somebody who would have said, women and men should be equal, as opposed to, I am as capable As As a man, man. and that she is maneuvering within gender roles in a way that bolsters her own power, that is ultimately really fascinating. Yeah. There are hints of that that come from history. Whenever there are hints of that, they're mostly things that come from the real history. But there's much less of that than I would have liked.
1: I don't think of Elizabeth as being a feminist person, but I think it would be interesting to see this story through the lens of feminist yes, artists, absolutely. I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Because there's something to the body stuff that we've talked about, the yeah. idea of being controlled and silenced by these men. Kate Blanchett is an actress who is very good at many things, but including a feeling of rage that's being contained yes. and like power that's being contained. I wish I got more of a feeling in this movie of her ability to have a temper mm-hmm. and that she herself is like trying to master it. And, you know, hold it down or use it when it's to her yeah. advantage. I think that's a choice I
0: would have personally been excited about. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I wish – there's there's a lot of things I wish they'd done differently. Walsingham is uh, with Marie and implies that he's going to change allegiance and that it seems like they must sleep together or at least go to sleep together. And he, I guess, kills her. Yep. It's, again, just another editing choice. But, yep, I guess that's what we're supposed to draw the conclusion of. Since she's dead now, and the next yep. morning we have uh, Anju kind of runs in and yells that Elizabeth is a witch and her servant is the devil as he's kind of trying to cover her naked body and also trying to make out with her again. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to process this as I go through the notes. Yeah. However, Robert, meanwhile, back at the English court, has found a shirt that buttons up high enough to cover his <sighs> collarbone. For the first time. Traitor! And is trying to convince Elizabeth to marry Philip of Spain and so she can then fuck him on the side. And is like, I ask you to save some part of us. And he responds, Lord Robert, you may make a ho- make whores of my ladies, but you shall not make one of me.
1: I felt so bad for Kelly MacDonald.
0: I know, Isabel, right? She's dead whatever and you call she's her. being called a whore. Like, I know. I was on. like... It's not fair. It's not. That poor woman. But I think it is significant that he has this shirt that buttons up all the way to his collarbone. He's covering
1: up more of his true self, his heart. He's closing off his heart. His
0: yeah, he's no longer, I think, entirely sincere in his relationship with her. That he has this kind of ulterior... Motive in this kind of alliance with these other people that she doesn't know anything about. So it is a significant collarbone covering. (laughs) Hey, I love good costuming. That's helping tell the story. There you go. In the wake of Walsingham having assassinated Mary. Or Marie. They call her Mary in the movie. I am making the choice consistently that I would like to call her Marie and acknowledge that she's French.
1: Yeah, plus it's easier to tell her apart from... Mary,
0: Queen of Scots, and Mary, Elizabeth's older half sister, the previous queen, that way. (laughs) Yeah. I have, by the way, heard before that uh, people sometimes complain when reading historical novels, oh, all of the names are the same. It's so annoying. Like, why didn't they, like, why don't they have so many people named Elizabeth and Catherine? It's like because everybody was named Elizabeth and Catherine. It's not their fault. They can't really do anything about it. Exactly. So, in the wake of Walsingham's assassination of Marie, Cecil tries to convince Elizabeth, okay, so clearly the French are not your friends anymore because they blame you for this assassination, so you should ally with the Spanish, so maybe you should hurry up and accept that marriage offer. And she finally gets annoyed with all of this and uh, says that she's going to follow her own counsel, and he protests, oh, but you're, you're just a woman. And she tells him, I may be a woman, but if I choose, I have the heart of a man. I am my father's daughter. I am not afraid of anything." And this, I think, going back to what we said before, I think really works. And I think the, uh, the Woman with the Heart of a Man is actually an adaptation of a real quote from her. And it's very much the kind of thing that a woman in a position of power would say in this period is they wouldn't say, no, women are just as good as men. They exactly. say, I have the heart of a man.
1: Yeah, you co-opt the power of a man. Exactly. That, and again, that that makes sense and it's historically accurate and all of that. So I didn't like have beef with that from a thematic Perspective and it is historically accurate. I just wanted to see more like exploration of how yeah. that made her
0: feel. And I wish there'd been more lead up to her frustration in this moment that we see. Yeah. She also then passive aggressively names him Lord Burley to enjoy his retirement in greater ease, which is a great snarky firing moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Is to enjoy your retirement in greater ease. Is that the original, OK, Boomer? Oh my God, it is.
0: <laughs> it totally, it totally is.
1: is. To enjoy your retirement in greater ease.
0: <laughs> OK, Lord Burley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had to put off the recording of this episode by a little bit because there's demolition happening next <sighs> to my house. This is not a joke. The demolition is of an old closed down restaurant called Boomers. <laughs> So every day I pass by and I'm like, wow, the timing is flawless.
0: Elizabeth replaces Cecil with Walsingham, who encourages her to be fine with being blamed for Marie de Guise's death, which is somewhat self-serving, but he's potentially right. And also informs her that there are rumors about a priest and about Norfolk building his power in court and raising an army. And she tells him to find out what's going on. Arendelle's children give up their own parents and the priest which is exactly what you would expect from young Theon Greyjoy (laughs) and they are discovered hiding the priest who we then get to see brutally tortured so more torture yeah I
1: I didn't care for this
0: yeah under torture he reveals various letters which implicate Sussex, Gardner, Arendelle and Robert Dudley Earl of Leicester which is a term In a lot of ways, including from reality. And he also reveals a very special letter for Norfolk, which if he then signs, he would then agree to marry Mary, Queen of Scots and claim the throne. And they arrange to make it possible for him to sign it and thus commit treason. And he signs it and then asks his girlfriend to deliver it most carefully, which raises then questions about oh wait what what side is she on now especially because we've seen these kind of like looks exchange with her and walsingham a couple of times yeah and interestingly a little more
1: court intrigue exactly yeah so interesting
0: yeah Yeah. like i want to know what went down i know i wish that part was a little less behind the scenes and we'd gotten to see more
1: that's what wolf hall which sarah and i both really enjoy does so well
0: i loved wolf hall And And, uh, bring up the
1: bodies. Yeah.
0: We then have our traitor montage. And so we see various kind of things that all of the people who have been implicated are doing. Somebody's going to the bathroom. Gardner's just whipping himself. Norfolk's having sex with his girlfriend. Apparently, we're just going to stab people and not have like a trial for treason. We're just going to stab them where they lay. Norfolk does at least get arrested which is something and his uh, his girlfriend and Walsingham are both like real smug in this arrest moment which is very entertaining yeah I also like that he insists like he'll will, I will be remembered as a martyr and Walsingham's like nah, I'm gonna forget you buddy
1: I was I liked that his lady-in-waiting girlfriend was the one who kind of like got him in the end yeah he was really not nice to her
0: no During the movie, no, he was always obnoxious to her. She kind of indicated a couple of times that they, at the very least, are having sex on his schedule and not hers. Yeah, I appreciate that. Arendelle is informed that uh, basically that thanks to his many kindnesses, which basically means we saw earlier when Elizabeth was captured that he like gave her a cloak. That at least his children will be spared.
1: His kids are like, "Hey, you should spare us because we gave him up." I know, right? We should have
0: earned our own sparing. (laughs) Seriously, we helped, come on. Yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. Elizabeth then confronts Robert and asks him why he did this, to which he responds, Why, madam? Is it not plain enough to you? It is no easy thing to be loved by the queen. It would corrupt the soul of any man. So first of all, like, fuck off. That's a bag of bullshit. It doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. And also just the entire thing, it's still, it makes no sense. I have no idea what his motives are. Exactly. This whole,
1: they just, they spent so much time on Robert and we still don't know what the fuck is going on with him. Like, I don't care. He should have had like three scenes. Yeah. There's like cheeky, cute scenes with her. And otherwise, it's been a movie
0: about other things. Yes. And also, I mean, spoiler alert for the next section, the reason his motives don't make any sense is because this never happened. He was never involved in this plot. I know, they just smeared him all over the place for no reason. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's a jerk in this movie and he probably was kind of a jerk and I don't necessarily like him, but don't accuse him of treason for no reason, especially without coming up with a credible explanation for why he would have committed treason.
1: Yeah, it was dumb. And like, he had a long enough friendly relationship with Elizabeth, even after their affair or whatever ended irl that i just like don't believe that he was ever that horrible to her about anything because she would have just gotten rid of him yeah it doesn't make any sense whatever yeah oh, this movie
0: yeah when she tells robert that she is going to spare him to remind her of essentially how close she came to danger by having i don't know maybe almost married him i guess But we do have to see everybody else's heads on Trader's Gate. So that's nice. In the notes, you
1: noted that Elizabeth, uh, in this next scene, makes one of her ladies-in-waiting sob dramatically. Yes. You put it in your notes. This is exactly what I was talking about. Every time they show Emily Mortimer, she's crying. (laughs) And it's like why? Yes. But that's Emily Mortimer's character, the one who's like, <gasps> during the final moments of the movie. Yeah,
0: so there's this bit where so she and Walsingham are looking at this statue of the Virgin Mary and uh, reflecting on how the Virgin Mary inspired the hearts of men. Walsingham's like, we Protestants have never found a good replacement for her, something that meant for men to experience the divine here on earth. So she decides she's going to take on a new look, inspired by the Virgin Mary, which apparently means shaving her head and wearing white makeup. And her lady-in-waiting, Emily Mortimer's character, yeah, is shaving her head and is sobbing dramatically.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. That girl sure can cry.
0: Yeah, and the reactions in general, I will say to her transformation are fascinating so like Cecil like looks at her and he's kind of like all right respect and she goes observe Lord Burley I am married to England which is solid and Dudley's kind of got this look on his face which is totally the look that men have when they're trying to decide if they want to tell their ex that they're not into her new haircut (sighs) (laughs) and uh, then Wilson keeps like tearing up which is really sweet so proud yes and then the end crawl informs us that Elizabeth reigned for 40 years, that Welsingham remained her most trusted and loyal servant to the end, or advisor to the end, and that she never saw Dudley again. Okay. <laughs> the last part's not, not, not so much, but we'll worry about that a bit. Long live the Queen! And we'll worry about that specifically in the next section. Vera at falso, where we talk about what this film got right and what it got wrong. The thing that I will just say at the beginning is that even for the things that they ultimately, I will say, they did a fairly good job on, the dates are a disaster. Because best case scenario, this movie has condensed a, almost 20 years <sighs> into what feels like it's probably supposed to be about two.
1: Yeah, characters don't seem to age very much or go through, like, many major life changes no. besides ones that are specifically
0: dictated by the plot. But one of the things that it does ultimately get right is some of the things about Mary, who was indeed a very devoutly Catholic... Married to Philip II of Spain, who, by the way, is her first cousin once removed. Right. And uh, that the marriage was both increasingly estranged and also that she had a number of these false pregnancies. We don't actually know for sure what caused them. People at the time wouldn't have been able to say, for example, like, yes, it's definitely this cancer. But now there are people who think it's probably was maybe uterine cancer, maybe some kind of cysts. We don't know, but she was definitely very ill for the last few years of her life. And also, in what is really a very sad development, really wanted to have a child and have an heir for herself and uh, kept... Hi, kitten. And kept believing that she was pregnant and then turning out to not be pregnant.
1: That must have just been a torturous experience. And it doesn't excuse anything she did, but it definitely makes you understand how she could have been this... Very irritable and sort of harsh figure in those years when she must
0: have been in an enormous amount of pain. And in general, her life was extremely hard in terms of also the ways in which she was really abused and neglected by her father because of her father's rejection of her mother separated from her
1: mother yeah and like just had yeah had a terrible life oh yeah I've, I've read about mary as well there were those uh there was definitely a young adult book about her in that same <laughs> <Yep>. series
0: <laughs> yeah so you can kind of understand why she was not the most cheerful person I oh could. my gosh she's chatty <sighs> yeah she wants to be on the podcast yeah she's she's appeared before one of the other things and we kind of brought this up a little bit before that it does get right are the concept at least of having court dwarves as the term would have been at the time and in particular that there was actually a little person who was at Elizabeth's court so that we know a little bit about and uh, there's a portrait actually in which she appears kind of in the background named uh, Thomasina de Paris And, and she seems to I think potentially have been French And uh, uh, but she was not at Elizabeth's court until 1577. So, again, we're not doing great on our dates here. Walsingham, they do, I think, overall do a pretty good job with. He was a Protestant, went into exile at the beginning of Mary's reign. The one thing that's utterly inexplicable to me is that they're like, he's going to come back from France. And in reality, he was in sometimes Switzerland and sometimes Italy. So I don't know why they couldn't have just said that instead of pretending that he's in France, which doesn't make sense in a lot of ways for him to have been in France.
1: Maybe they want to make it feel like there was a reason for him to be palling around with the French characters later on in the movie.
0: Yeah, I assume so. Or maybe just because, well, we're bringing up France so we know everyone watching this movie will have heard of France. I sometimes wonder if it's actually just that even. I, I don't know. But he did return to England at Elizabeth's accession, became a really important figure in her state, and is in particular very well known for espionage, uh, as well as his willingness to torture people to get information, in particular Catholics he was not very sympathetic to as people, and also that he is known to have, in a manner kind of similar to what we see here, to have been involved in what was essentially an entrapment scheme to get Mary Queen of Scots accused of treason. Speaking of people being accused of treason, the ultimate end that we have for Thomas Howard, the fourth Duke of Norfolk, is also, I would say, pretty accurate. The it's a kind of repetition, although very much abbreviated in some ways, and a lot of people and a lot of people involved left out but of the Ridolfi plot of 1571 in which he was ultimately going to marry Mary Queen of Scots and then claim the throne. Classic Norfolk. Classic Norfolk. I also would just like to note that his father is really my least favorite person kind of in the world. He's Elizabeth's Second cousin Anne Boleyn's mother was a Howard she was the she was the daughter of the second Duke of Norfolk and uh, so Anne was basically put forward by her uncle who was this guy's father the third Duke of Norfolk and uh, he then also knowing what had happened to Anne then put forward another one of his nieces Catherine Howard who then also gets executed yeah and somehow manages despite all that to have survived far too long Until I think 1554. And I hate him so much. I think he's just a terrible person. (laughs) The person that I'm going to mention next is somebody who uh, shows up just at the beginning and is somebody who I think there's a kind of a little bit right, but then uh, they're also leaving a lot out. And that's a figure of Nicholas Ridley, who is one of the people that we see being burned at the stake at the beginning. Oh, okay. So it opens with his 1555 execution. And this is a real incident, and in fact, he is known. It is known that there was an issue where he was burning just excruciatingly slowly. Like that's actually real. That that was something that people noticed. However, I do just want to note that while Mary did indeed martyr people or kill people for being Protestants, and Ridley is remembered as a Protestant martyr, the real reason she executed Ridley in particular is because he was involved with the with basically putting. Uh, mary's cousin lady jane gray on the throne declaring both mary and elizabeth bastards and then just bypassing them and putting this other person on the throne who was a protestant
1: poor lady jane gray yeah
0: and her story is also very sad and it's so sad
1: i was thinking that uh famous painting of her being executed where she's like stumbling towards the block oh it's horrible
0: yeah and she was very much ill used by a lot of people yeah she was a puppet yeah But she got executed and various people, of course, associated with putting her on the throne got executed and Ridley was actually executed in this context and not just because he was a Protestant. There's a decent amount that it then gets wrong, however, in terms of a lot of the specific historical figures in this film. Shocker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in fact, so
0: much that I'm going to spend most of the section talking about specific stuff that they got very specifically wrong. One of the big ones is Cecil. The first part's right, that he's one of her kind of early advisors and somebody who's very influential and that she relies upon. But then it has this bit where she fires him, essentially. She did not fire him. And elevating him to being Lord Burleigh was not a passive-aggressive move. It was, in fact, actually an honor. And he continued to serve as her Secretary of State for a long time and continued to have an important role in her administration until his death, at which point he was then immediately succeeded by his own son. Very clearly, she continued to respect him and didn't just say, like, nah, bye, you're replaced now. Yeah, Marie de Guise were also not doing amazing on... First of all, it makes it seem kind of like she's just invading Scotland out of nowhere with these French troops. When in fact she's in Scotland because she's ruling Scotland, because she is the widow of the King of Scotland and has every right to rule as a regent. Yeah, they definitely don't drop that in at all. Nope. And her being involved in English affairs is also, I would say, a really complicated one in a lot of ways. Mary, Queen of Scots, who we've mentioned a couple of times, is her daughter. And so she's thinking about the fact that, okay, Mary has a claim to the English throne. And one of my responsibilities is to kind of protect and encourage that. And the other thing, of course, is that Elizabeth is not an innocent in this, in that she's very much actively reaching out and trying to support Scottish Protestants who are rising up in rebellion against Marie de Guise, who is Catholic. The other fun fact, just by the way, about Marie de Guise is that Henry VIII uh, wanted to marry her. Oh. Yeah. After Jane Seymour's death, she's one of the people that he kind of reached out to as an option. (sighs) And she's known for having been very tall. And he said about her, I'm a big man and I need a big wife, basically. And she allegedly, at least, responded, I may be a big woman, but I have a very little neck, referring, Ugh. of course, to Anne Boleyn having made comments about her little neck before being beheaded. Yeah, fair enough. She She's one of a couple of people who made some great snarky comments in uh, rejecting Henry VIII's marriage proposals, which was very much, I'm sure, a good choice on their part. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was thinking about how Anne of Cleves really is the luckiest one. Oh, she 100% is. She got a pension. Everybody left her alone. She was actually friends with Mary and Elizabeth, which not a lot of people could say. Like, good for her. She's great. And of course, Marie Dickey's also died of natural causes, and there is no reason to think that she was assassinated. Yeah, his killings in this
1: movie were really weird. Like, yeah. Walsingham killed people, and it was just no big deal. Mm-hmm. So
0: okay yeah that would have been a major international incident if everybody <laughs> knew that queen elizabeth's spymaster basically had murdered marie de guise like yeah, a war would really have started weird. over that the movie also does not do a great job in a lot of ways with uh, francois d'Anjou, who first of all by the way he's not even marie de guise's nephew he's like the brother of her son-in-law and then they're like fourth cousins or something Oh, well, that's yeah. hard to explain. So I can guess I can understand why they compressed that. <laughs> exactly. He also is somebody who shows up as Elizabeth suitor, but not until well into her reign, when in fact he was 24 and she was 46. And in 1558, when she's beginning her reign, he would have been three years old. Oh. <laughs> Cross-dressing at that age is still acceptable, I right. believe,
1: even in that time period. <laughs> yeah, so he probably
0: would have been wearing a dress at age three. Yeah, he would have been wearing a gown and had long long curls. Yeah, so he's one of her last suitors. And also he's an interesting figure in that it's questionable whether she ever really planned to marry him. But she seemed to at least rather enjoy having this like young guy around courting her. And seems to have been quite genuinely fond of him, and she kept him around and entertained the possibility of him as a suitor for a couple of years. As I said, based on everything we knew about their interactions, she might not have really ever planned to marry him, but she seems to have genuinely liked him.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah. I think you kind of get a glimmer of that personality in the movie, even though he
0: ends up being so obnoxious. Yeah. They're trying to make him more of like a free spirit and stuff. Right. But it's that, I don't know, they don't really seem, they seem to be very fundamentally different people in that way. I mean, Elizabeth is very much not a free spirit in that way in this film. Certainly, yeah. And so it would have been, it would have been nice to see them have a little bit more chemistry, at least as friends in some way. That would have been a really interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also would be interesting to, I mean, this would have been a very different movie in terms of how it, you know, went and how it ended ultimately, but I would have actually loved to see a movie that sat more with the dynamic of the fact that, like, she was actually old enough to be his mother. Oh, yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I guess they would have had to save him for Elizabeth the Golden Age exactly. the case. Exactly, yeah, which would have been closer to the right time. And that he arrived at court in 1579, the Spanish Armadas in 1588. And I'm sure they squished it all together in that movie, too. Oh, yes, I'm sure. Another death that just actually this one straight up did not happen, is Isabel Nolis, her lady-in-waiting, who, uh, first of all, Isabel isn't her name. Her name is actually Lettuce with an I. It's not pronounced Lettice. Oh, I would have said Lettuce. It could be Lettice. But it's definitely not Isabel. No. I've actually heard it pronounced lettuce, at least sometimes. And that really? was actually my theory about why. That is so interesting. Yeah. I just asked
1: because I know a lot of times there'd be like French crossover in the mm-hmm. culture at this point, And I think like Leticia and stuff is right. still a popular name in France. That's is, the only yeah. reason my
0: mind jumped to that. If it's pronounced lettuce, that is hilarious. And also would explain to me why they didn't use it. Because I think the idea of having this, like, sexy, like, sexy woman who's having this, like, affair with Robert and that her name is Lettuce, I think it would have just been too distracting for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't even
0: imagine. It would be like (laughs) having Lady Radish or something. Right. And, you know, first spelled with an I, not not a U, but, like, pronounced basically the same, potentially at least. And As I said, I've heard that pronounced before.
1: Oh, I believe you 100%. My mind just jumped there because when I was reading over your notes, I was like, oh, that's a normal name. Why did they change it? Yeah,
0: and it was the Latin, like when you see it, when you see the Latinized version, it was Leticia.
1: Plus, I know from my study of Shakespeare that there are a lot of English words that were just straight up pronounced
0: differently. Right, yeah. But so she did not die at all good i mean like eventually but she died actually after elizabeth in the year 1634 at the age of 91 oh good for her wow she must have seen a lot of changes in the world yeah also her having this sexual relationship with dudley with robert does not come out of nowhere in that she married him huh in 1578 As a result of which, Elizabeth was not happy and they were both banished from court. Yeah, see, that makes sense. I just didn't see how it could be a surprise. So he married her in secret because he knew Elizabeth was going to be mad, managed to hide it for about nine months. And then, of course, people found out and were like, ha, 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 we get to tell Elizabeth all about it. I'm genuinely surprised he
1: could even hide it for nine months. I'm truly so surprised. Knowing what I know about the English
0: court, (laughs) that is fascinating. (laughs) Wow, he must have some good friends. I know, right? But eventually also had some enemies who found out about this and uh, revealed it to Elizabeth. And she was very annoyed. She didn't entirely ditch him. The whole thing that she, like, never saw him again is not true that even though she was annoyed at him about this she kind of kept him around but she did not let let us return to court sadly Uh, of course that she blames the woman as opposed to the yeah come on you also have to kind of feel bad for her because her son from her first marriage and her third husband uh sir christopher blount were then executed by elizabeth for treason in 1601 i mean they were guilty but still it was have hard for her sure and then of course we have dudley and as i've already indicated this he committed treason thing is ridiculous it's just absolutely ridiculous he is somebody who was in fact her childhood friend he played an important role in her court for his entire life and there were always at least rumors that they were that they had a sexual relationship and they were very publicly you know flirtatious in a lot of ways And increasingly, people actually did sort of wonder, like, oh, is this marriage something that's going to happen? But there's an obstacle in that. Robert actually was married before Lettuce to uh, this woman named Amy, who then in 1560 fell down the stairs and broke her neck. And a number of people in response are like, that's kind of convenient timing. Yeah. He wouldn't have physically been there but there were a number of people who believed that he had arranged for her to be murdered in order to open a path for him to marry Elizabeth. No way to know it. The, uh, the coroner's record is actually something that we have and that scholars have looked at. And based on it, it could be an, could have been an accident. It could have been a suicide. And she was apparently very ill in such a way that could have either you know inspired her to commit suicide if she was in horrible pain or that could have led her to have a fall. Or it could have been murder. Genuinely, there's no way for sure to know. Yeah, that's
1: the thing about this time period. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, and, you know, I'm sure that happens now too. That people, you know, if you fall down, falling down the stairs is probably actually a pretty good way to kill somebody, and you would have no way of proving. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not to make suggestions to anybody. No, it just sends chills down my spine thinking about it. <laughs> yeah this happened and it did then have the effect ultimately of making it basically impossible for the two of them to actually get married, even if she had wanted to. And we don't know if she did or not. It's possible that she wanted to, that that people, it was kind of indicated that the nobility wouldn't be happy. It's also possible, very much possible that she wanted to not be married and that this actually kind of worked for her, that she could keep him around very possibly have a sexual relationship with him, but not actually marry him. There's even an odd event that happens at some point where she's toying with the idea of naming Mary Queen of Scots as her heir, but only on the condition that she marry Robert and that the three of them all live together at the English court.
1: Cozy. Cozy,
0: yeah. Uh, Which kind of reminds me of, you know, Robert's whole like, you could marry the King of Spain and then we can be together. Yeah. So I wonder if that's where they they got that. He then has this marriage in 1578 after years of refraining from marrying, basically because she's made it very clear that she doesn't want him to, even though she's not actually going to marry him herself. He finally gets married. And as I said, even with that... He's not entirely, you know, rejected. He remains somebody who is important at court and is even, in fact, when a group of her advisors basically make sure to get Mary, Queen of Scots, assassinated with her kind of dithering about it because she kind of doesn't want to. He's He's basically the only one that doesn't really get punished for it.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. Long live
0: the Queen! In the next kind of historically focused section, then Historia ad Veritas, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Elizabeth in particular and uh, going back to it, this is something that's brought been brought up a couple of times but that she had in a lot of ways a difficult childhood as the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn her mother was executed when she was 3 years old
1: yeah now we're kind of getting into like the fairy tale princess hardship that i yeah. referenced earlier
0: her father killed her mother when she's 3 She is immediately put in this position where her legitimacy is very much in doubt and uh, it very much kind of depends on uh, what the kind of circumstances are and who's in what faction is in power at any given moment, how she gets treated. And this is true with Mary, too, in a lot of ways. Then she's uh, a child. I mean, she's much younger than Mary. She's about, I think, 10 years younger than Mary. And you can very much understand why Mary felt neglected and in pain, but I think she also, to some extent, probably took it out on her sister in ways that are understandable because she's a child. But Elizabeth is then an even younger child who I'm sure experiences all as being very traumatic. Yeah, worth knowing that that's what the background of the conflict. As well, of course, the Protestant Catholic thing.
1: And you have that continually shifting family unit. Now you have Jane, then Edward was born, Jane dies. Like, there would form these attachments to these women in their lives, I'm sure. Or servants, Mm -hmm. people that were teaching them, taking care of them. And there was no guarantee that they were going to be able to stick around. Yeah, So lots of very insecure attachments.
0: Yeah, which I'm sure was really difficult. She also is I would say presented in this movie as having something of an admiration for her father, which I genuinely have to wonder if given the realities of her relationship with him and the way she saw him treat people if that was actually true.
1: Yeah, certainly. I I don't know. I don't it's hard to believe she'd be that starry-eyed about him. Yeah.
0: I believe that she would have used her father's legacy to her advantage in various totally. ways, but I'm not sure I believe in her Yeah, having that kind of starry-eyed idealization of him that she seems to in a couple of moments in this film. Yeah. She does become queen in 1558, and one of the things that the movie does that I do think is really cool is that that scene of her coronation is actually modeled directly on her coronation portrait.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one of the most visually striking things about the film.
0: Yeah. One of her goals is, of course, to kind of stabilize these religious tensions initially. And the film actually ends up combining a couple of different acts, which I think is interesting in that there's first the act of uniformity, which says that English churches all have to be basically doing the same thing and institutes the Book of Common Prayer. And then it's only a slightly later act, the act of supremacy, that actually makes the monarch the head of the Church of England. So these are things that are both very radical, especially from the perspective of Catholics who are trying to make sure that the restoration of Catholicism under Mary actually lasts. Mm -hmm. And they are things that she ends up essentially having to kind of do in two steps. I understand why the movie alighted those, but I think it emphasizes how difficult it is it was to be aware of the fact that this happened much more gradually. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It also was something that really happened that the Pope did declare her illegitimate and absolved all English Catholics of allegiance to her. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a move by the Pope. Yeah. In reality, this is probably something that the vast majority of English Catholics ignored. There was not mass uprisings. Yeah, how would they even institute that into the reality of their everyday lives? Right. I mean, it really would have only mattered from the perspective of... uh, If I, say, did something that, you know, went against the Queen, I could still get executed because of the realities of how power works. But I guess I'd go to heaven. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that is interesting about this that the film does not delve into, I don't know if Golden Age deals with this at all, is that. The person who has the reputation for brutality in these religious wars that were happening throughout the 16th century, the person who has that reputation is of course Mary with her executions of Protestants. Especially after the Pope makes this declaration in 1570, Elizabeth also becomes much harsher toward Catholics. And this line, I do not seek to make windows into men's souls, is more or less a real line that she said when she said it it, at the beginning of her reign there's every reason to think that she very possibly meant it in terms of seriously she didn't want to kind of be seeking out who is a secret Catholic. Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking it was more aligned line to conversion. There are quite a few Shakespeare plays that
1: have references to secret Catholics and the trunks that they would use to keep all their stuff for religious ceremonies inside to travel from place to place. So yeah. that was something I
0: already knew about, but only through the context of those plays. Yeah, and we see the little like kind of side room behind a secret door, that Arendelle and his family have as a place to pray in the catholic fashion and that's something that you know we have those in english in kind of wealthy english catholic homes that they have these little like secret shrine like secret prayer places like or secret chapels essentially
1: i think culturally that kind of carried through in england even long after that like Think about uh, *Brideshead Revisited*. They have Mm. the Catholic family has a family chapel on the family in the family home's grounds. Oh wow! I think the whole idea of having like a dedicated place to worship really probably took
0: hold because of that. Yeah, she then becomes, I will say, much kind of harder on catholics after this and executes herself a number of people for being catholic so it is worth noting that while essentially i think mary basically gets this reputation she's known as bloody mary i think that's part because she was on the losing side elizabeth ultimately did not prove that much friendlier to people who were not of her own faith than her sister had but that's the faith that won so she gets much more positively remembered.
1: Certainly. And when you're being, you know, memorialized by the works of artists like Shakespeare and his, uh, his peers, then definitely you can come off as the winner in
0: all of that. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to note that while there were, of course, plots to remove Elizabeth from the throne, including, of course, one, uh, you know, attempts to put her cousin on the throne, there don't seem to have been any uh, quite so close and harrowing assassination attempts. As the ones where we see where she literally like has an on arrow basically like pin a curtain in front of her face. Yeah, it's like someone falls right on top of her. Right, yeah. Literally into her lap. Yeah, that she never experienced anything quite that intense. She also continued to have a lot of suitors throughout her entire life that she never actually completely foreclosed on the possibility that she would one day marry. And so I mentioned already that uh, Francois, the Duc d'Anjou, is one of her suitors when she's already in her late, in her kind of mid to late 40s. He's not the only one that she's ac- that she's actually, you know, still, as I said, entertaining suitors even to a point at a point where it would have been, you know, known that she couldn't even necessarily still produce an heir, and seems to potentially. Enjoyed some of them, in fact, and enjoyed the possibility that the kind of suggestion that she might marry somebody would allow her to kind of play uh, to kind of play different people off one another in international politics in a pretty savvy way. And that's, I think, yeah, another interesting way she kind of used gender to her advantage.
1: I think it was also a way that she could use her station to sort of flout the gender expectations of the time and do what most women would never have been able to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Again, I think she's a really interesting figure that way. I think the way that she kind of developed her own models of rulership, where she's both defying gender conventions, but also very much using certain gender conventions to her advantage and kind of manipulating them in interesting ways. And that I think that's the combination of those, I think, is ultimately why she was so successful, that she's... uh, I think very much, and at least until, I don't know, I don't know know about the current one, but at least until the current one, I would say she's the most positively remembered English queen, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm very interested to see, it's just interesting that you would bring that up because I think we're having a moment now where Queen Elizabeth II's reputation is being imperiled like never before, perhaps. And I'm here for it. So (laughs) uh, I think it's really interesting. Like we're kind of at an interesting moment in history for the monarchy like i was laying in bed watching the crown and Mm -hmm. got a news alert on my phone that prince andrew had stepped back from his royal duties you know like we're at a period now where just the modern monarchy feels more precarious than ever so it's really interesting to look back on the history
0: of it all and how much things have changed long live the queen We've already touched on this a little bit already, but our next segment, Fabula Nostra, or Our Story, is one where we talk about how we would maybe do something a little different from this film in terms of telling a related story. So I know I'm at least thinking about how I might otherwise tell at least part of the story of Queen Elizabeth. Shannon, do you want to go first in terms of what you would want to do with us? Sure. I think I would
1: just shift the focus of this movie so much. I would really like bring the dramatic tone down Mm -hmm. a lot and make it more of a story of courtly intrigue and shifting alliances and whispers behind closed doors. What are they saying? What do they want? Like I would almost make it like a political thriller. But it takes place during this time period. That's what I love about Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies. I would have made the focus way less on Elizabeth's Mm -hmm. romantic life. I'm just so (laughs) bored of that. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's not an uninteresting topic. And like Robert Dudley is kind of a Mm -hmm. fascinating person. But I personally am just very exhaustified of the romance being such a huge part of these stories. I would spend more time with Elizabeth while Mm -hmm. Mary's alive, spend the first act exploring their relationship and Elizabeth having moments of sympathy and empathy with Mary where she sees how terrible Mary's life has been and how the men around her are exerting their will on her. And I would definitely keep like the Spanish king being a creep and wanting to marry Elizabeth before Mary's even dead. But I would make their relationship a little Mm -hmm. more central, like maybe truly not have Mary die and Elizabeth Ascend till the end of the mm-hmm. first act of the film. And then I would really focus the story on like Elizabeth trying to navigate this court that is like a pit yeah. of snakes. Like she has to make no wrong steps and there are so many obstacles for her to overcome. And she has this short of, the Jeffrey Rush character I would keep pretty mm-hmm. much unchanged. She has this sort of like shady mm-hmm. advisor who came back from banishment and she doesn't really know his story like can i even trust him but he's helping me you know (laughs) like i guess i just wanted to be like the winter soldier but right right. (laughs) like i i really wanted to be like a mysterious spy drama that just happens to center around this young woman who's in power now that is my personal dream movie. I would keep a few little flirty <laughs> scenes with some sort of male love interest, but I I want to know more about Elizabeth navigating her gender yeah. role more than anything else. I'm just fascinated by that.
0: If you were remaking this movie right now, is there anything that you would really want to do in terms of casting?
1: It's sort of hard to think because I think I would want someone British Mm -hmm. in the title role and I don't have anyone that necessarily springs to mind for me which is bizarre because I watch (laughs) so much British TV like perhaps more than American TV so I would have to think on that but yeah no it's it's more the focus and the tone that Mm -hmm. I'm getting really hung up on I think I just was so fascinated with elizabeth as a historical figure when i was a young woman and it had absolutely nothing to do with her love life and i just can't help but be a little bit stymied by that issue yeah
0: that's very fair i think a lot of my thoughts were similar in some senses of wanting it to be that kind of political emphasis and of seeing her kind of develop her political acumen in the context of this court i was interested in still kind of keeping some of the things with dudley But actually then seeing how that develops around in particular that situation that I mentioned before with the kind of death under mysterious circumstances of his wife and how then there are these kind of rumors swirling around this and how that then affects Elizabeth, who also very possibly doesn't know if he arranged to have his wife murdered or not or necessarily how she feels about that exactly. In terms yeah, of that, it very certainly doesn't usually endear someone as a possible husband, if you think that they murdered their previous spouse. I would hope,
1: but you never know.
0: <laughs> One would hope, but that also, if she's like, did he do this for me? If she's in some ways happy about it, and then how she feels about then maybe saying, like, maybe in a way this is kind of a good thing that now I don't have to marry him because I kind of want yeah. to, but also I kind of don't. And I think delving into her interior state surrounding this marriage question a bit more is actually how I guess I would like to see her romantic life included. I very much look at her and I think that she is somebody who... As I said that, I don't think she's feminist exactly, but I do think she's somebody who is very much aware of the fact that there is an expectation that a husband is supposed to be a woman's master and that I'm not sure that she's willing in herself to you know, relinquish control in that way over her own person and over England. Absolutely. And I think that dynamic is so interesting and her wrestling with that is so interesting. And that's the area in which I would still have some of the romance, but that's where I would like it to go in terms of really focusing on her saying... I want to have sex with this guy, but I'm not sure I want to marry him.
1: Yeah, I can totally imagine that.
0: I did have a couple of thoughts, actually, for things I might want to do with casting. And one of those is that I was kind of wondering – so one of the things that's great about Kate Blanchett in this role is that she looks very much the part. Yeah. And in addition to that, she is fantastic. And so I was trying to think of other people, and one of the people that popped into my head is uh, Deborah Ann Woll. Hmm. So it would be an American trying to pull an accent (laughs) – and I will admit I'm a little worried about this casting choice from that perspective because she does a Southern accent in True Blood, which is not great. But maybe if we're with a better accent coach, she could do a good job and pull and British. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe maybe she'll get fired I mean, and we'll replace her we with Brit. We probably won't but, uh, see.
1: So it's OK. You can cast whoever we you probably want. <laughs>
0: won't but she is somebody who I think... Uh, has a kind of inter- she has a kind of interesting arc on true blood which is a show that i watched a lot of but also simultaneously hate but there were some things about it that i liked and her character is actually one that i liked in terms of like seeing her arc to actually becoming this stronger and more complicated person in some ways mm-hmm. and then i was actually thinking with Dudley, they went very much from the perspective of this kind of like very sort of like witty kind of sexy character mm-hmm. and uh, I still want that kind of wittiness, but I also, especially because of how I'm treating Dudley in this, want somebody who could potentially play like a little bit more sinister in some ways. And I was thinking Tom Hiddleston. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can see that. That was uh, the only kind of real casting I came up with other than being like, maybe Jeffrey Rush can just come back as Walsingham.
1: I mean, I always say the same thing, like pretty much every time we get to casting a movie about a historical woman. And I hope this doesn't make me sound like Sour Grapes. But I would love it if they could cast a woman who's not movie star beautiful. You know, like. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Deborah Ann Wool is a great actress and I have a lot of respect for her. She's so beautiful. So is Cape Blanchett. Yeah. And like, I would love a version of this woman that's maybe not very glamorous you know because like I don't think looks were necessarily her strong suit which isn't to say as a young woman that she didn't have a beauty of her own but like there was also something about her looks that could be very alienating and otherworldly Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because of that Dickinson apple plus show which I know is like a joke (laughs) and it's meant to be like another period like it has a spoofy sense of humor Mm -hmm. but like even if it weren't a joke they would have made Emily Dickinson some young, beautiful, Haley Steinfeld-looking woman. Right, and I just yeah. wish sometimes that we could tell these women's stories without making them so beautiful. But I realize that this yeah. is like a very boilerplate Hollywood critique. It's not exclusive to movies like this. It's true of most movies, you know, out there that women are you have to hold this unattainable standard and obviously I'm coming at this from the place of like someone who is also working in the arts and has kind Mm -hmm. of seen firsthand how harsh it can be but yeah like what I what I love about British TV is they cast people that are not conventionally attractive Uh and so I really want to like think through my mental Rolodex of British actors I've seen because it seems just like in that country there's more of a platform for unusual looking performers to get a chance
0: yeah with that we can move on to our last main section which is the enumeratio or ratings section in this i and my guests to each rate the movie on a scale of one to five five's the best based on whatever criteria we see fit i tend to use a combination of a Historical accuracy and just how much I like the movie and also in practice how much this movie hates women because I watch a lot of movies for this podcast that seem to just aggressively hate women.
1: Sure. Gosh, this was a tough one for me, I have to admit, because I had such fond memories of this movie and I thought it was totally different than it was like as a little kid the tone stuff did not register with me the historical inaccuracy did not register with me so I was like oh during the first 20 minutes of this movie and I have to admit I could forgive the like campiness of it and I can forgive the historical inaccuracies but I cannot forgive how bored I was during these sometimes long stretches of Norfolk talking to people and Wolsingham talking to people and then Elizabeth talking to people, but none of the three main players ever together in a scene. I felt like I was watching like a TV show where characters got to have their own A, B, and C plots, but they were just like never coming together. So sadly... With a heavy heart, I can only give this one two out of five because that's fair. I really don't mind things being over the top, and I honestly don't mind them being historically inaccurate because a, st- mm-hmm. a movie is a movie. It has to work on its own terms. But in this case, instead of historical inaccuracies making the story cleaner and more hue to yeah. the themes, they only muddied
0: the waters and kind of pulled us away from the characters and themes. I think this is a film where. Ultimately, I think the thing about the historical inaccuracies uh, is that they actually undermine character development in a lot of ways. And I mean, in particular, I think Dudley is obviously the biggest example of this in that his choice makes no sense for his character. And that's because he didn't do this. Exactly. Or, I mean, it's that, okay, it's like, how do you explain why he did this thing that he never did and that there's no reason for him to have done?
1: Every historical story needs to be able to stand on its own two feet without any other context and this movie just doesn't
0: yeah that's also an issue I'm torn I was initially thinking about going three out of five uh, because the acting is overall I think really excellent certainly I think however in the course of this I've gotten just more and more annoyed about some of the historical choices and because of that, I think I'm going down to a 2 out of 5 as well.
1: Yeah, and I can't say like, enough how I truly did not go into this with like a cynical, negative attitude. I went into yeah. this with an open heart,
0: and I was surprised that this is yeah. where we landed. Yeah, and I also do think that this is a film that In some ways, I'm just, I'm not sure it held up that well. Exactly. It's
1: such a, it feels like such a product of its time.
0: Yeah. And I don't mean Elizabeth's time. I
1: mean, 1998. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is sad, but you know, a great movie should be able, I mean, shouldn't feel that way. One of the other things that I find frustrating about this movie in some ways is that there's this emphasis on being Catholic versus Protestant as being the source of conflict. And yet... Nobody actually seems to have any obvious religious beliefs. Yeah. That religion is the source of factionalism, but without there being any thought given to faith that anyone might have. That's such a good
1: point, because that would be such a rich uh, thing to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. This movie just needs to be streamlined and focused down to like one or two themes that they really wanted to talk about, instead of trying to throw in the whole kid and caboodle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean I would have liked to see them deal with the fact that Welsingham is a devout, one could even say zealous Protestant. And then if he was a
1: closeted gay man, that would be five times right. as interesting. That would be yeah. this would be my favorite period piece. Like yeah, we're no, that so would be close great. to a movie that, would that be a I'm great obsessed movie.
0: with. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, they did not do that.
1: Oh well. So yeah. It was a fabulous nostra to me.
0: so as we come to our close we'll have some info for our listeners and so shannon where can our listeners find you on the internet right
1: now i am working on a fiction podcast it's an audio drama where new episodes come out and the story unfolds week by week um and it's a modernization of little women so you can find us at Little Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook.com slash Little Women Podcast
0: or good old Little dot And it is fantastic so far. I've been really enjoying listening to it. Thank you so and much. I think you've mentioned that it's kind of geared toward all ages. Yes. And I will say, you know, listening to it. As an adult, I really enjoy it, which is not always the case for things that are, you know, supposed to be accessible to people who are, you know, 10, 12. Thank you. You're
1: going to make me cry on air. Seriously.
0: (laughs) The support
1: from our community of friends and acquaintances in our little podcasting world has been incredible, and I'm so, so grateful for it. Uh, It's just been an amazing experience to work on with a team of mostly women. Uh, Women are filling all the creative positions. Obviously, I had to have some men in the cast playing Laurie and (laughs) Grandfather Lawrence and stuff, but um, everyone has just been so
0: incredibly kind and I appreciate it so, so much. Thank you. Of course, yeah. So, and thank you so much for coming on. And if you have enjoyed this podcast and would like to keep listening, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app where on all of them and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. So here is one. Have you ever wondered how accurate Medieval Times was? I hadn't because before I listened to this podcast, I knew that Medieval Times held themselves... (sighs) to the highest standards of historical accuracy that was reasonably feasible. So imagine my surprise when an actual real doctor of medieval history shattered my worldview and exposed that restaurant for the pretender it is. This podcast is great, and the host and guest hosts are always great, even the Irish guy, referring to my original co-host, Ollie <laughs> Greeny. I personally can't wait for the episode about Prima Nocta and how true it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you very much to Cake Ninja for that lovely review. And please also follow the podcast on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join our Facebook group. And if you have any questions, you can send me an email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. You can find me also on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Ifdecker. Thank you, Shannon, again for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for
0: having me. This was just a blast. I loved it. Thank you so much it was so great having you and thank you all for listening to media evil bye bye i am my father's daughter i am not afraid of anything